First Thessalonians 5, and beginning with verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, I too thank you for 33 years of of what you've done here through St. Andrew's Presbyterian. You get all the glory for anything, anything good that has happened here or come from this place. It is only because of the Lord Jesus and we acknowledge that as your people and now, Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word, challenge us, encourage us, give us thankful hearts, help us to know you better. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you uh, stumbled in here, Today, not stumbled, none of you stumbled in here today, but if you're visiting with us, see, I take my tie off and everything goes to pot. I, I, we had encouraged our folks today to come casual because we are having our anniversary and uh, we're going to have a picnic and be doing things outside. And so let me begin by answering, so I, I've already answered a bunch of times. So why, um, I don't have to answer it a, another hundred times, why I'm not wearing shorts, okay? <laughs> it would, isn't this right, Connie? Uh, it would be far too great a distraction for you <laughs> if I were in shorts right now, so... That's, that's the reason. But, but let me ask you this, too. This morning, 
when you were getting ready, did you kind of feel a little naughty, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, I feel like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, you know? As, as I came in, one of my tradition over many years is uh, I, the only time I ever go to McDonald's is I get breakfast on the way in on Sunday morning. And I even thought, that's how sensitive, you know, I even thought, oh, well, you know, the girl that I see there every single week, she's going to think I'm not going to church today because <laughs> I didn't have my, my, my tie on. But here's, here's the reality. Uh, we, we probably look like about two-thirds of the other churches around here, and it doesn't matter what we wear in terms of our, our worship. Uh, ordinarily, those on the platform uh, would be uh, dressed in uh, a different way, but that's, that's not the focus. In fact, as I, I thought about that with other churches, there are lots of types of churches uh, in this area and in our country. Uh, you have churches that are primarily a teaching center, uh, some that are a fellowship-oriented church, some that would be an outreach center, uh, a family church, emergent church, uh, seeker-sensitive, seeker friendly, seeker-driven, uh, liturgical, free-form, and various denominations. And that's okay. In fact, we need to understand churches cannot be all things to all people. Even a megachurch has an orientation and a personality type. But to me, that's not a problem. The key, though, is to figure out who you are and how God has gifted you. You know, when we talk about the body of Christ, and especially when we talk about gifts for the body of Christ, we usually think about individuals within the church and how he has gifted all of us differently and uh, and that's good because that makes the church stronger and so on. Let me ask you to pull back from just within the church and think of that same theological truth, and that is this, that, that that's how God church, uh, gifts his church universal as well. And so there are some churches that their primary gifting is in the area of teaching, and there are some that are going to be stronger in outreach and some in fellowship. And that's okay. And what we can do is we can appreciate other churches and the way God has gifted them and not see them as competition, but see them as a part of the church universal that we are just a, a small part of. Now, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church has had a great heritage celebrating our 33rd anniversary today. So I want to, and we have done this before, and I, uh, do, I do it on occasion, I want to present to you uh, the statement that the session of our church, the elders in our church, adopted nine years ago 
as a statement of our mission, our direction of who we are. Mission statements are good. The only time mission statements are a problem is when they're, when they're not used. When you have a mission statement, then never think about it or talk about it again. But you see our mission statement on the front of our worship guide. You see it on the wall of uh, the gathering place out here, painted on the wall. You see it all over our materials. But even more important than just keeping it out there, uh, that mission statement was fleshed out in our Vision 2017. And it will be fleshed out in uh, Vision uh, 2022 that will be presented in January, which will be that statement, but with some, some new things that we believe God is leading us to. That statement is the framework for what teams we have here. Some churches call them committees. We call them teams. What teams we have here. What ministries we do here. And anything we do here should be congruent with that mission statement. So what is the mission statement of St. Andrews? It is helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ love him more, and serve him better. Simple statement. You will see also, in fact, even on the front of the new beacon, we even have it boiled down further, know, love, and serve. Helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. So let's start with the big umbrella of that, and I'm, I'm going to work our way through this, uh, joy, helping people joyfully, that's the modifier of all three of uh, those, those parts of the mission statement. In other words, it is joyfully knowing Jesus Christ, joyfully loving him more, and joyfully serving him better. Now let's talk about what that joyfully really means. It sounds nice, but how, how does... Uh, how do we apply that? I, that's one reason I picked uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, because uh, there we are told to rejoice always. And joy, <clears throat> it is joy that permeates every life in ministry. That's our mission here at St. Andrews. Now, in 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, Paul uses several modifiers in those brief verses, uh, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, and being joyful always. Now, what do we mean by joy? Does that, does that mean like uh, if you can uh, picture the old uh, uh, Peanuts and Snoopy and, and all that? You know how Snoopy would kind of bounce around and, and really... Uh, no matter what the circumstances, he was, you know, laughing and everything. And it, it so irritated Lucy. Do you remember that? And uh, one reason it irritated her is because she was, you know, down to earth and thinking about the things that are going on. And, and so, we're, you know, is that how we're supposed to be? Always, uh, you know, a modern-day kind of Pollyanna th- 
uh, laughing even in the midst of, of uh, difficult, sometimes awful things. Well, that's not it. But I do believe that where God's Holy Spirit is and where He's working, there will be laughter. It's appropriate. And so that is a part of, of who we are. You know, I, I want us to, to grow old with laugh lines and not frown lines. Some of you, you know. Some of you look a, a little bit like you think the weight of the success of the universe is on your shoulders rather than you worship the one who has the weight of the universe on his. So there is that appropriate outward um, joy that we should never be ashamed to have here at the church. But in addition to the outward, there is another kind of joy that the Scripture talks about. And it is a deep, abiding joy. Paul wrote the epistle to the Philippians from prison. That's what we're studying in the seniors' Bible study on Thursdays. That epistle is called the epistle of joy. And he wrote it from prison. Well, I don't, I don't believe for a moment it was because uh, it, it was all laugh and fun and games. It wasn't. But it's about contentment and it's about understanding. He, he got it. He understood who he was in Christ so that even in the midst of prison, he knew who was in control and it wasn't him. And he didn't have to be frustrated by that. But he could still have the abiding joy of knowing that he was secure in Christ. And so that's why, that's why in our mission statement we talk about joy. To really understand it, uh, when we, we speak of that, we need to understand that joy has its source in God. 1 Timothy 6 17 says this, As for the rich in, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So you don't, you're not getting your joy and, uh, from riches and so on. They're uncertain. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that a beautiful verse? We, he, he provides us with things to take joy in. Someone said, a man will have to give an account on the judgment day for every good thing he had to enjoy and didn't. We'll have to account for it if that's accurate. Paul is, is saying to make the Heavenly Father the focus and not uh, things are people. Now look, that's why Okay, today we, you know, we're here in worship, and we're going to go down and uh, enjoy uh, you know, a great meal, and it will be. It never fails. 
And, uh, you know, one, one thing we can think about with that meal is th- this is... This is like a foretaste, a foretaste of a greater meal that we will have that, that you won't have to get up early and prepare because the Lord will prepare it for us. C.S. Lewis's perspective on joy, he used to uh, describe it as uh, something that sparks in us a longing for the eternal, whether we know it at the time or not. In other words, we as Christians of all people, because we believe that God is sovereign over all of creation, should be able to understand that moments of joy don't exist just in and of themselves. That's not, you know, a moment of joy isn't, well, that was fine, let's move on. But instead, it's pointing to a greater joy. This joy is provisional we can look forward to something even better and more permanent. So we have a feast here, and it can remind us of the the, uh, uh, wedding feast of the Lamb. And then we will do fun things together. We're going to have a big bingo game down there. No gambling. Bingo game down there. And that will remind us... I don't know what bingo will remind us of, but (laughs) but it will be fun. And that's a good thing. Because in in that joy, in that fun, we're enjoying one another as a family. And we'll do things outside together and so on. So just remember with all of those to take, take joy in them, but let them remind you of that which is to come. Now back to the statement to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ. Joyful knowing. Paul said this in Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, that's the idea of a, a, a biblical worldview and, and seeing uh, all of this creation as that by which we can enjoy and bring glory to God. It's not just when we're here in this sanctuary, though that is part of it. Uh, in Romans 10, uh, it, that addresses one of the the issues with a biblical wor- worldview. In Romans 10, verse 2, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he's talking about, you know, that's the one problem, is having a zeal without knowledge. Getting all excited, and, but not having a good basis for it. But then the other problem is having a knowledge without application. Who is that? That was the Pharisees where they had all the head knowledge about God, but it didn't impact their life and it didn't draw them to Christ. And so they, they were missing out. And so as we uh, seek to know Him better, we want people to, to learn and discern and uh, apply God's Word. That's one reason we have community groups. In our community groups, 
whatever the, the message that morning is, is discussed and applied. And it gives us that, that wonderful time. And I always love to hear what others have, have thought about and how they're applying it in their lives. Um, but that's, that's what we do and, and seek to not just have a message and then move on and study something else and keep putting knowledge, more and more knowledge in, but to know and to apply and then become discerning. Now, what is this knowing? Well, knowing is becoming a disciple. And we have to go to because that's really where our, our mission comes from, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now notice in that, sometimes people look at the Great Commission, they, they think it's just talking about making converts. That's part of it. People initially coming to Christ. But it's even, it's even bigger than that. It's making disciples. Can't be a disciple unless you're first a convert. By the way, let me, let me give you some, uh, I, what I find to be very encouraging uh, statistics, percentages. Uh, in, in terms of those that have joined St. Andrews in the last 10 years, 36% of those people have come by profession of faith. 42% by reaffirmation of faith. And many of those either were, were not in any church or hadn't been in church for a long time, but at some point they had, be, had been. And only 22% by transfer from other PCA churches. Now, you know why that's encouraging? Because what that's saying is eight out of ten people that have joined our church are coming by profession or reaffirmation. We aren't just getting people from other churches. We're not just shuffling the sheep around, drawing uh, people out of other good churches. And for that, we we should be thankful for. God gets the glory for that. So it's making a disciple, but there is that initial part. And that means we need to be outward looking. Do you know uh, what the most effective way to get people uh, in our community to come to church? There's all kinds of surveys out there, and all of them are within a few percentages. Uh, As they survey various churches, you know, if you're growing, how are you growing? Here's, here's a typical survey of that. Um, three to five percent that uh, enter the local church uh, are just walk-ins um, or stumble-ins, I think I said. Anyway, uh, they, in other words, they like the looks or the convenience or so on. And I think ours is probably a little bit higher than that because we're in a very visible, great location and things like that. Um, three to four percent uh, are because of the church program. Uh, four to six percent are because, because of the pastor or special speaker. That's very humbling for pastors to hear. <laughs> four, four to six percent uh, are there for that reason. Uh, visitation teams, one to two percent. Not that effective, especially anymore. 
Sunday school classes, 3 to 6%. That leaves 75 to 90%. And those are people that come because of friends or relatives in the church. For some, all they need is an invitation. When was the last time you invited somebody? You might be surprised. Some who are out there that aren't going to church just haven't been asked or invited. Be low-key. Don't be high-pressure. That never works. But you are way more effective at that than I am or any of our pastoral staff. Because we're, you know, they, they say, well, you're paid to do that. That's right. We're paid to be good. You're just good for nothing. So, <laughs> joyfully knowing also means being witnesses across the street, across the country, and across the world. And that's where our missions comes in. Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's why we are involved with global missions. And by global missions, we mean everywhere from, we, we like to say it starts outside our skin. So in, anywhere outside of us, all the way across the globe. So our Jerusalem, from that verse, would be Colombia. Here in Colombia, we've supported church planting in Chapin, Blythewood, downtown Colombia, Lexington. Uh, we gave $15,000 last year toward other church planting because uh, we see that as a, a great way to build his kingdom, not just inward. We're not the only ones that can help forward his kingdom. We want to support others as well. And on, on the campus downtown, we have Reformed University Fellowship for college students. Then our Judea would be South Carolina. There we support other uh, churches in our presbytery and other presbyteries around which are involved in church planting. We've supported a church plant in Charleston, Reformed University Fellowship Ministries at College of Charleston and Clemson. Our Samaria would be the, our United States of America. Our denomination is across our whole country. We support that. We've sent many teams, to, uh, mission teams, to uh, West Virginia, the Gulfport after Katrina, New York, Chattanooga, Cherokee, North Carolina, and others. And then to the end of the earth, our focus areas, Haiti, England, Ukraine, and Bulgaria, those are our four main focus areas. But we also support works in Spain, Germany, Asia. One note on that. We should always see these things I've just mentioned to you. See these other countries and other, other ministries as people, not just things that we support. And that's where our relationships grow, and we have the, the mighty and wonderful privilege of partnering with people who are advancing his kingdom literally all over the world for our little church. In our vision 2017, we say we desire to be a supporting and sending church. 
And so we pray that there will be those from our midst that will go out. I told you that when I came here 10 years ago, that I'd be praying for that and, and that that might mean some of your children will go. And we've, some of you have sent your children to the mission field. And so did we. That's a part of this, being ascending church. So helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ and love him more needs to be a joyful growing in love for God. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, when you, when you hear that verse, or at least when I hear that verse, I think, wait a minute. I don't love him with all my heart, soul, and might even for one minute. How can we say that's what we've got to do? Well, it needs to be a, a growing love in him. And that must be expressed. If you have a love for Christ, it, it will be expressed in biblical worship. The hour is coming, Jesus said, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the, spirit and, the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And that is the goal of our worship here. To help people love Him more and more and to do it with great joy. There are, of course, solemn times. Things like a, a Monday Thursday service. Or what we'll have this week, a, a memorial service or a funeral service. Those can be solemn. And that's where the deep and abiding joy needs to be. And that needs to always be the context of those. But every week here, we are celebrating He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's what we celebrate. Not just on Easter Sunday, when we tend to say that, but every Sunday. And that's why our, our joy should be expressed in worship. Just listen to these verses, and you don't worry about where they come from. I've got them listed in your outline. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and their wine abound. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So why does the Bible talk about that outward joy? Well, it's because of what he has done. And how does that fit into our worship? Well, I'm going to use the old joke before anyone else does. Presbyterians are sometimes called the frozen chosen. It's okay for us to say that to each other. Don't let anyone outside our church say that, okay? 
Um, someone said that Presbyterians will be the first ones to go to heaven because the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> now, the reality is this. That's true of some Presbyterians. It's true of some Baptists. It's true of some Methodists. You name it. Those can all be true. But let me give you two cautions. One is the extreme outward. That's usually not our problem. But the extreme outward. Or the extreme inward with no outward. I get asked from time to time, is it okay to raise our hands during worship? Let me address that as simply as I know how. I could have picked a number of places, but Psalm 63, 4, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. My answer is this. If God says it's okay, it's okay. That's it. It's simple. It's not required to worship. But like bowing and kneeling, it's a proper posture if God leads you to that. And sometimes it's, it has to do with personality and so on. And I'm not going to stand up here and say, okay, let's all raise our hands now. Because when I'm in groups where that happens, then I rebel and I'm not going to raise my hands. So that's not good for my soul, and I don't know that it would be good for yours either. But if God says it's okay, it's certainly okay here at St. Andrews. The two extremes need to ask themselves, though. If you need to be whipped into a frenzy to feel like you've worshipped, the question is, is there a deep joy inside of you? Or do you just need to get to that next high? Or, if there is no emotion, no outward joy, the question is, is there a deeper joy inside of you? I can't answer that, but I can ask that question. Ed Dobson said, it should not be the choir, the style of music, the organ, piano, prayer, sermon, which determine whether we have a joyful worship. shouldn't be any of those. Our musicians do their job every single week to make an atmosphere that is conducive for us to worship with great joy. It's up to us to prepare for worship and to engage in worship. And so the application of this mission is the last phrase, and that is to serve Him better. When we... When we Joyfully know Him and love Him more than we will serve Him better. And that's a whole nother message easily. We mentioned earlier that uh, today is 9-11 and on 2001, those of you that were alive remember it very well. I lived at that time, uh, we lived near the Atlanta airport. It was the most eerie thing for days to see no airplanes in the sky. It was a, a time 
unlike I remember in my lifetime. And a lot of visual images, and you have them too. Let me remind you of one of those, at least, that, that I remember. And that is, on that night, I remember seeing on the Capitol steps, Republican and Democrat uh, politicians gather on the steps as a show of unity and arm-in-arm singing, God Bless America. And it was an amazing sight. Why could they do that? Ones that maybe at other times would barely speak with one another, much less throw their arm over it. It was because they had a common enemy. They had a common concern and a common cause. Now, unfortunately, it didn't last long for them. They forgot who the common enemy was, and they became each other's enemies again. And that fell apart. But for that moment, it gave them unity. We here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian have a common enemy, and it is never each other, ever. We have a common concern, and that is to to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we have a common cause, and that's the great commission that we've been talking about that we believe is summarized in helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love Him more, and serve Him better. The church is a vessel that God has given so we can love Him more. May God help us in this next year and in the next 30 years to grow in our, the depth of our love for Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank You for this common cause You've given to us. Will You help us to uh, enjoy and take great joy in, in the fact that you've drawn us together and help us to continue to celebrate that this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.